A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. So glad you're with me on the program today. We are going to be talking with Mr. Jim Wallace of the Gun Owners Action League here in mere moments about the uh, Senate gun control bill that was dropped late last week, uh, S-2572. Uh, Senators spent uh, several months writing this bill, but they're not wasting any time at all in trying to pass it. A vote expected by the end of this week. Uh, In fact, uh, perhaps as early as Thursday. Uh, And there are some major differences between the Senate bill and the uh, House gun control bill that passed last fall. Neither bill... Good for gun owners, as we'll get into with uh, Jim Wallace. In fact, there are a lot of devils in the detail of Senate Bill 2572. The SAFER Act is what the Senate is billing it. It is um, a shorter bill than what we saw in the House, but um, there are already some amendments being offered that would make this bad bill even worse. So let's get right to it with uh, Jim Wallace of the Gun Owners Action League. Take a look and a listen. Mr. Wallace, thank you so much for coming on the program, sir. It's good to see you again. Wow, I'm in trouble, Mr. Wallace. I'm I know. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> like when my mother called me James. Oh, no, what I do? <laughs> I almost went with Jimothy, but I decided, you know what, I'll, we'll, we'll go a little bit more formal here today. Um, all right, so let's yeah. talk about uh, the SAFER Act, uh, S-2572. You know, the Senate spent months and months crafting this bill, and now they're racing to pass it. This, you know, I mean, just like the House did, Jim, this is ridiculous, you know, so yeah. uh, between uh, what they, they dropped this bill on last Friday. Right. And they want to have a vote. By Thursday of this week. Yeah, they actually dropped it Thursday late afternoon. Um, and we were told that even though the Senate caucused on it for hours and hours, senators wouldn't know what was actually going to be in the bill until they showed up for the press conference. And amendments were due yesterday at 5 p.m. on Monday. And then it's going to hit the floor on Thursday. And if the Senate does their normal thing, they will caucus in private for hours and hours and hours, come out, give a couple of speeches, and pass the bill. So you will not see, likely not see any honest public debate because it all happens behind closed doors yeah and by the way i just checked you've got this at uh, gold.org uh the link to the amendments that were filed now some of these might be good amendments but 79 amendments filed to this legislation yeah well we we took the stance after we war room this thing on friday uh like the house it's not fixable so we didn't seek any amendments uh, there are friendly amendments, but they were just put there by people, you know, saying, well, I'm going to try to at least do something to it. Why at this point? But because you might amend one sentence, realizing that there are four other sentences in that bill somewhere else that mm-hmm. affect the same thing. So, um, but I will say that uh, when you say crafted the bill, you were right on the money because when we were in the war room with six of us, and by the way, there were times reading that thing because we had it up on the big screen where all six of us were like Cocker Spaniels going, the hell are they trying to say? But uh, I think it was Mike Harris that came up with it that it's a witch's brew because they took a little bit of federal law, a little bit of state law, and a whole lot of 
garbage they wanted and threw it in a pot and came up with a crafted a witch's brew. And that's pretty much all you can call it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's it's amazing to me because when I first looked at this, I thought, OK, well, it's 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 shorter than the House bill. The Lawful Citizens Imprisonment Act is a goal uh, called it. Um, and it looked like, you know, there were some areas where the Senate decided not to go. Right. There were not a whole lot of new sensitive places, as we saw in the House. There was no live fire training mandate for a licensing. Well, that's one of the amendments. Amendment 46 uh, actually yeah. would uh, said curriculum yeah. must include a minimum of at least five hours, five hours of live discharge of firearms, rifles and shotguns at a licensed gun club. Uh, including the discharge of at least 50 rounds of ammunition. You know, we talked with Mike Harris about the live fire provision and the problems with that, right? You got four, basically four ranges in the state of Massachusetts that are open to the public, right? Uh, the rest of the ranges are, you know, private uh, gun clubs. So, <laughs> I mean, Jim, let's just start there because I know that we can get, we can spend hours just talking about all the problems with this, but just from a practical standpoint, yeah. If the state of Massachusetts is going to require five hours of live fire training in order for you to get your uh, Class A license, in other words, to keep a firearm in your home as well as to carry it, what kind of impact is that going to have on the ability of Massachusetts residents to keep and bear arms in the future? We won't be able to. We, we've actually had a different discussion with the chair of Ways and Means in the Senate and other senators because if you're going to mandate the clubs accept this, it's more or less a taking. So now you're going to, the state is going to have to financially support the clubs and also accept liability. So they're going to have to buy insurance to, to cover all of these clubs for the liability of doing this, which you and I know accidents are extraordinarily rare, mm -hmm. but the insurance is still extraordinarily expensive. Right. So the state's going to have to cover that. Otherwise, good luck. Um, a, a, an old uh, friend, George Peterson, he used to be a state rep. I talked to him this morning and he did the calculations that if every gun owner had to do this, if every range in the state, public or private, was operating 24-7, it would take three years to, to qualify everybody. So the other thing is, either way you look at it, um, I don't think I've shot five hours in my entire life, unless it was just hanging around a trap range or, you know, a, a pistol range and you'd shoot a few and have a cup of coffee, but not five hours. But then the other hand, if you look at it, well, you only have to do 50 rounds in five hours. What are you going to do for four and a half of those five hours? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like either way, it, it's it's just nonsensical. Uh, there's a lot of insidious things in there that don't necessarily affect just gun owners. Because anybody who makes a product for the 2A community, it could be a T-shirt, you know, could be a coffee cup, whatever it might be will now be considered an industry member, firearms industry member. So, and that puts them on the hook for liability for anything they sell to anyone in the two-way community. There's also things with uh, the machining industry. And I was a billion years ago when I came out of the military, I was actually trained as a machinist. Um, if you're just a, a Joe and Mary machine shop somewhere that makes innocuous parts on your computer milling machine for, let's say it's screws for Smith & Wesson, 
and you don't have a license to manufacture firearms, you're toast. So because they're going to consider that computerized milling machine uh, basically illegally owned. So, uh, you know, it really spreads far and wide uh, on, on this thing, not not just us. The The other thing that's really, boy, you really have to go down the chain of events that could be caused by this and will be caused by this, that because they use the term completed or unfinished frame or receiver, mm-hmm. uh, they have a definition for it, but good luck with that. To the point where they change the machine gun laws, that an AR-15, even if they grandfather it, would be considered an unfinished machine gun. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Okay, so if 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 ARs that are grandfathered are considered unfinished machine guns, then what happens to those gun owners who possess those grandfathered ARs? Are they going to have to get rid of their guns? Well, they'd be in possession of unfinished machine guns, so got me. Um, you know, there's also a piece, and our members picked up on it. It was in the assault weapons definition under this new bill. And it was uh, sentence F or whatever you want to call it, subsection F, under exemptions. And it specifically said that a semi-automatic rifle that cannot take a detachable magazine but can hold more than five rounds is not an assault weapon. But that was followed by G, which said a semi-automatic shotgun that can hold more than five is an assault weapon. Why would you say that? Why would you just say, hey, you know this gun we didn't mention anywhere? Well, that's okay. But why did they say over five rounds? Does it mean that anything under five rounds? So we actually put in our summary that we think this is going to ban any semi-auto rifle that doesn't have a magazine over five. And and a ton of people, they were, nobody was nasty about it. They just said, hey, I think you read this wrong. That's not what it says. But we have to try to explain to people that if you take things separately or even as a whole, what, what the heck were they trying to say? Mm-hmm. And why would they say that? Uh, but we also we had to put a caveat on our summary that folks, this is we're doing this in warp speed. So some of this stuff, it's like, okay, it's there. We're not sure what they're trying to do, but um one of those things was actually there's a piece uh where do they put it under? Maybe the industry stuff, I'm trying to think. But it was about marketing, selling, or whatever else, or possessing a firearm industry product for anyone under 18. And it said unlawfully. And we're like, that's that's interesting because why did they say unlawfully? The, like the firearms industry is going to start selling to 10-year-olds or, or something? Right. Well, we we found out after the amendments were filed that it was a mistake and they're taking out the word unlawfully. So that means that you cannot uh, somebody under 18 literally cannot possess an NRA t-shirt because it's a firearms industry product. And you can't say, hey, you should check out this t-shirt. So that would do away with all of the junior programs throughout Massachusetts the conservation camp that we help run everything and make it a felony felony. 
Good Lord. I mean, it, well, and, you know, and again, I mean, the, the, to me, the intent there is pretty clear, right? To yeah. choke off that next generation of Massachusetts yeah. residents yeah. who might want to exercise their Second Amendment rights, right? Let, let, let's make it verboten to even mention uh, the Second Amendment to them, or again, to promote the junior shooting sports, uh, which, by the way, you know, you look at like high school trap shooting programs, fastest growing yeah. high school sport in the country, um, but it would be a felony. <laughs> To actually promote those junior shooting sports, it sounds like under this bill. Absolutely, yeah. Good well, lord. Here's a here's a separate piece that it's kind of interesting because the staff said, "Well, under the red flag stuff." Well, Jim, the, this shows they were sort of listening to you. And I said, "Okay." Uh, so I had told many senators about the red flag law, and I said, "You know, the irony is you can't be red flagged unless you have a license." to own a firearm in mass. And they go, what, what do you mean? And I said, if you don't have a license, you can't be red flagged. So they actually put some language in this bill to take that caveat out that you don't have to be licensed to be red flagged. However, removing your license is the only remedy a judge can have. <laughs> so can you just see the judge sitting there going, yeah, what, what do you want me to do? It says I can take away their license. They don't have one. Right. So what do you need to do? Oh, my Lord. So yeah. it's just, you know, you have to. I know some people are like, Jim, why are you laughing at this stuff? You got to. It's just, I mean, you can sit there and scream and bleed out your eyes, but it's the world we live in now of nonsensical legislation because COVID really killed the voice of the people in more ways than one. Uh, they got used to not dealing with us. Uh, matter of fact, some of the younger reps and senators were elected during COVID, so they were totally not used to dealing with people. But now we have, everything's done behind closed doors. Everything, you know, there's no true discussion. Uh, the Boston Herald actually had a great quote from me that the, the reporter, Matt, asked, you know, hey, were you at least able to voice, you know, your concerns? Mm -hmm. and I said, yeah. And even in our release, I said, listen, Senator Cream, who wrote the bill, had an open door policy. We could walk in anytime and chat. We did. We Same thing with other senators. But the problem with voicing our concerns is it turns out we didn't know what concerns we were supposed to have because we were voicing our concerns about the Senate bill. I'm sorry, the House bill, but now the Senate bill has a whole different set of concerns that we didn't know we were supposed to voice. So. <laughs> right. And yeah. I mean, the, and the danger is because the House bill and the Senate bill are so different. So let's let's just game this out. Let's let's assume that the Senate bill is going to pass. So now you've got these two competing bills. Right. And so you're going to have a joint legislative committee that sits down and tries to hammer out the uh, the differences. It's entirely possible that the worst provisions of the House bill and the worst provisions of the Senate bill get wrapped up into one big unconstitutional bill. Yeah. One of the things people don't realize is that it's called a conference committee. Mm -hmm. And it's important to note that the Senate kept the House bill alive because 2572 is actually not a bill. It's an amendment to the House bill. So basically what they did was, you know, delete all after the enacting clause and insert, you know, uh, so 
they kept the House bill alive by doing this as an amendment and not a standalone. So what they will do, whatever they pass, the House will appoint three people, the Senate three people, and they will go into what they call a conference committee. Everything that conference committee talks about is secret. You're not allowed to attend. You're not allowed to watch. You're not allowed to give information. That's how the stun gun stuff gets so messed up because they did it in secret. And if I was in the room, I could have fixed a ton of this stuff, but we weren't allowed. So, and when and if the conference committee comes up with an agreement, it they, they all sign this docket and then it goes to the House and Senate. No debate, no discussion, up or down. That's it. No more further amendments, no discussion, no debate, either yes or no, and then it goes forward or doesn't. So we have no idea. So everything in the House bill and everything that will be in the Senate bill is up for grabs. Yeah. All right. So what is, <laughs> I mean, what what is your message to gun owners in Massachusetts right now? We, we put on alert yesterday that they need to contact not just their state senator. They need to contact the Senate president's office. She's the only one with the power to slow this down. There's been no public hearing on this. Uh, the, the process is not unlike the House process. The only difference is they didn't lie to us the entire time. Uh, they didn't tell us what they were going to do, but at least they didn't lie to us. Um, so they also need to call their police chiefs because the chiefs came out against the House bill unanimously. Mm -hmm. Old every chief in the state, the organization did. This bill they came out in favor of, but they didn't poll their chiefs. It was just the executive committee of the mass chiefs. Their legislative committee wasn't even asked, didn't even get a chance to review the language before the chiefs supported it. So there's a little chicanery going on there. Have you heard from any uh, individual chiefs in the state who've said, uh, yeah, we're not on board with this? Well, we've we've certainly made a bunch of calls, but we've asked all of our members to call their chief and say, yeah. hey, do you know your names on this? You know, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what comes of that. Absolutely. But, you know, the whole process is moving so fast on purpose that nobody's really has the time to react. Well, you know, and I mean, and I, you know, I wanted to ask about that because, again, I mean, you brought up the fact there's going to be no public hearing for this bill right now. You we could say that the House hearing that was held was a dog and pony show; the fix was in. But at least you had the opportunity to make some of these objections public. The cameras were there; the press, yeah. you know, covered your comments extensively. How unusual is it for the Senate? And I'm, I'm assuming again because the, the the Senate bill is actually an amendment to the House bill that they can get around that uh, public hearing requirement. But how unusual is that, that you'd have this, you know, major piece of legislation yeah. and the Senate says, ah, we don't want to hear from the public on this. It, well, the excuse they're using is that not, we're not talking about the House bill, uh, but there was a, pub, a joint committee on public safety hearing on general gun bills. And that's the one, if you, were, if you remember that I got to testify for Pretty close to an hour because they kept asking me questions. Yeah. So what they're saying is, oh, no, we had a hearing on all the gun bills, and this bill is a result of that conversation. But oh. there was all kinds of stuff in this bill that we never saw before. So 
how could this be as a result of that hearing? Yeah. And even if it is, and if it is even if this bill is the result of that hearing, the public yeah. still has the opportunity, or I think the public has the obligation to yeah. weigh in on what came out of that conversation, what came out of that hearing. That's such a, I'm going to use yeah. my family-friendly language, that's such a nonsense excuse yeah. to not hear from the public here. And, and, and again, I assume it's because they don't want to hear you on the nightly news. They don't want to see you quoted in the no. Boston Herald or the Boston Globe pointing out the problems with this bill. They don't want to give gun owners the opportunity to publicly object because the fix is in. Yeah. Oh, by the way, before we, we head out, I, I have to share this piece of it. There's a, a piece in there about a pilot program for firearms training, firearm safety training. Yeah. And it's supposed to be done by the Commissioner of Public Health. Really? Does anybody in that department, including the commissioner, have any experience with firearm safety training? Um, the the other piece of it is, and it's only like a paragraph long, it's really interesting to read. It actually instructs them to seek out or develop culturally competent trainers. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> There's a cocker spaniel moment right there. Hmm? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so uh, are we all Klansmen, the fact that we have an instructor certificate? I, I'm not sure what the heck they're talking about. Culture, I mean, firearm safety is firearm safety. It doesn't matter who you're teaching it to. So culturally competent trainers. Yeah. But I mean, and again, so, so fine. So you want to have this, you know, progressive term and you want to oh, find whatever. But does it matter how culturally competent a firearm trainer is? If, again, there's no way for their students to actually be able to participate in the mandated training in order for them to get a license. Right. I mean, uh, that seems like such a sop to the left, like, Oh, we're not anti God. We're going to make sure that, you know, uh, you've got, you know, uh, Asian American uh, students where well, we're going to have an Asian American instructor. I right, find whatever. But again, there's this bottleneck, right. Where of range access, there are yeah. all kinds of these other provisions that uh are going to destroy the culture of lawful gun ownership. That, that's the culture that they're really interested in uh, going after here is the culture of lawful gun ownership. This is, uh, you know, this is just such a mess on so many different levels, Jim. I, I, and I understand why you have to laugh because you're right. You cannot, no. you never, you'd stroke out if you got angry, uh, as angry as you legitimately have a right to be. Um, and we don't want that. We want you here. So I, I you know, once and they brought me back. I don't need to do it again. So, to, so yes, yeah. deploy as much of the gallows humor as as necessary. Um, and again, gun owners in Massachusetts, they need to be contacting their own state senators. They need to be contacting the Senate president. Obviously, this is not the end of the story, as we've talked about. If the Senate passes this bill this week, then it goes to conference committee. Um, I, I I don't want to put the car before the horse here, but I, I do have to ask. Has goal started the discussions about litigation? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We st we actually started that a long time ago when the House passed their thing. So yeah. one of the things that people need to know, and and members have asked, or and I've said, listen, the problem with the House and Senate version, how that sausage comes together in the grinder. This is not going to be a single challenge. Courts do not take up entire legislation. Right. We're going to have to break this into pieces, 
I don't know how many, five, 10 different pieces, find plaintiffs and find a way to fund it. Um, Goal has traditionally not been a litigation group. I'm going to give you a little heads up that may be changing in the near future uh, because we've relied on others to do it. But everybody is so busy with everything else that's going on around the country. Yeah. Uh, we may we may start changing a little bit of our footprint and getting into litigation. Now, with the caveat, we're not going to take everybody's license case. Can't do it. We If the board decides to go down this road, we will be looking at board actions that make a big difference. Not just whack a mole with license cases. Can't right. Do it. Yeah, you got to be strategic. I mean, you know, and again, I think this is part of the, I think this is one of the other uh, strategies of the gun control uh, lobby right now, right? To f- sort of flood the zone with all of these bills, knowing that we have a finite amount of resources to uh, to challenge these laws, whether it's in Massachusetts, California, New Mexico. You know, there are only uh, there's only so many attorneys out there who specialize in these types of cases. Um, and, you know, and it takes money to fund these lawsuits, right? A million dollars or more to go up to the Supreme Court. So we don't have a, a Michael a Bloomberg member, in our back pocket. I had a member, God bless him. You know, people don't don't know. And why should they? You know, they, they're going about their life and, and they rely on us. But when they said, you know, well, why does it cost so much to go to the Supreme Court? And I tried to explain it and he goes, well, I got a friend that would do it for nothing. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not how it <laughs> You know, a divorce attorney is not going to argue a case before the United States Supreme Court. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but, yeah, you get what you pay for. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it, that, that's great and all. But, um, yeah, uh, gee, many Christmas. All right. Well, listen, Jim, we really <laughs> could talk about this for hours. Um, I yes. do appreciate your time today. I know you got a lot of stuff on your plate. But, uh Listen, you guys have a microphone anytime you want or need it. Uh, I'd love to have you back after we see what the Senate does with this bill when the bill goes to a conference committee. But yep. thank you for staying in the fight up there in Massachusetts, my friend. We're in there. We're in there for the long haul. So thanks for all your help. And uh, the members out there, you know, you, you got to you gotta stand up for yourselves, win or lose. If, if you just sit home, you get what you get. Absolutely. Jim Wallace with the Gun Owners Action League with us here on Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My thanks to Mr. Wallace for joining us on the program. And of course, if you're a Massachusetts gun owner, I know, I know, but your senators still need to hear from you right now. All right, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report, which is today a little bit different than we normally talk about. This isn't a case involving an individual in the criminal justice system. No, rather, it is about the um, fact that Democrats in New Mexico, full speed ahead, it seems, on all kinds of gun control measures aimed at law-abiding gun owners. But when it comes to actually getting tough on violent criminals, yeah, they're going to take a pass. Governor-backed bill that would address New Mexico's pretrial detention system table. This is actually a bill that was authored by a Republican. It was supported by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, but again, tabled by the Democratic majority in the roundhouse. The bill had been postponed before And uh, again, same result this time around. Um, According to KRQE in Albuquerque, right now, if a person is arrested for a violent crime, the state has to file a pretrial detention motion and then prove that the person is a danger to the community and that no conditions of release would keep the community safe. Uh, There, This proposed bill uh, would suggest that um, uh, those accused of violent crimes um, should stay in jail 
until trial and it would be the defense responsibility to prove otherwise, which, quote, means that the defendant could certainly rebut that if they wanted to, but they need to rebut that. Otherwise, there's a presumption that the person should be detained pending trial. That uh, from Bernalillo County District Attorney Sam Bregman. Uh, some Democratic lawmakers, <laughs> amusingly enough, questioned his constitutionality. Senator uh, Antoinette Cedillo Lopez said, I do think it's just a waste of time to go through this, to pass this, and have it declared unconstitutional. Really, I hope that you will take that same stance when it comes to things like, I don't know, bans on commonly owned firearms, 14 business day waiting periods, bans on young adults being able to purchase firearms, you know, all of the gun control measures that uh, Governor Michelle Luan Grisham is backing. Uh, Senator Greg Schmettis, Republican from Bernalillo and uh, Sandoval, Santa Fe and Torrance, says, uh, you know, listen, people I think are conflating the idea that a presumption is a presumption of guilt. He says, we're not determining innocence or guilt in a pretrial hearing. What is presumed is that someone is a danger to the community. We're not presuming that they're guilty. Uh, he pointed out that this is a method used by federal courts. Accused offenders, again, are still innocent until proven guilty, but this is aimed at cracking down on the revolving door of justice where people who keep getting arrested for violent crimes over and over again put back out on the streets. They are arrested and accused of committing more violent crimes when they're out on bond. Uh, and again, this is a measure where Republicans and Michelle Lujan Grisham actually found some common ground. But the Democrats in control of the state legislature said no, because, again, they're concerned about the constitutionality of this measure. Well, <laughs> apply those same concerns to all of Governor Grisham's gun control bills and uh, maybe the state legislature can get out of this 30 day session without passing laws that are going to be challenged in court and uh, laws that are going to be tossed out in court, quite frankly. All right. Turning our attention to today's armed citizen story from Pennsylvania, Blaine Township, where a man was shot and then arrested in the uh, break in of his neighbor's home. This is a uh, kind of bizarre situation. State police have charged uh, 33-year-old James Kenneth Milligan with felony burglary as well as criminal trespassing. According to court documents, it was about 1030 Saturday night when troopers were called to a home after Milligan had broken through the resident's rear door. As court documents states that the uh, homeowner uh, shot Milligan in the right thigh. Police determined that she was acting in self-defense. She told police that she heard a noise outside. She saw Milligan on her rear patio. According to authorities, Milligan then kicked, punched, and headbutted the glass storm door until it broke. And then he, quote, dove headfirst at the wooden door, knocked out a large oval glass insert in the door, which gave him access to the inside of the home. The homeowner warned Milligan that she was armed. She says that's when he threatened to kill her. According to the complaint, she aimed down and fired the weapon, hit him in the foot. She wasn't sure, actually, she had hit him at the time because he was already covered in blood. He then began stripping his clothes off, began rummaging through the kitchen cabinets. Relatives then arrived and took Milligan back to his home. A family member then called 911 to report that he'd been shot. He was taken to a local hospital in Pittsburgh for treatment. He was arraigned on Sunday night. A, a district judge denied him bond per online court records. Milligan already out. On $5,000 bond for misdemeanor criminal mischief as well as resisting arrest, he is scheduled to appear next for a preliminary hearing. On February the 5th, the homeowner who shot Milligan, again, not facing any charges because police say she was acting in self-defense. Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, well unable to do the right thing, a good Samaritan who rescued a man from a car crash in North Carolina. Eric Pennington says he was trapped in his car for hours praying for help, submerged in water, and he was rescued by a stranger. Now he wants to find the person who saved his life. He was uh, working as a delivery driver for DoorDash over the weekend when he um, was heading home. He said, I was driving. I remember a deer came out of nowhere, swerved to avoid the deer, landed in a creek, 
in uh, Mint Hill. He said, at first he thought it was in a dream. He said, I remember going into shock because my leg was completely broken. There was blood all over my jeans. I believe my bone was taken out of my body. For seven hours, he was stuck in his car screaming for help. Then he started praying. He said, I was kind of saying my goodbyes to my kids, my kids in Florida, to my mom, to my sister, you know, kind of making peace with myself because I really thought that was it. I really thought I was gone. Not long afterwards, he said he heard a voice. He said, I remember that person saying, oh, my God, there's somebody in the car. You need to get here quick. She was talking to 911. Now Penina wants to find that stranger who helped me. He said, I just want to say thank you to whoever that person was because without that person, I wouldn't be here today. I would just love to find him and just hug him, let him know that they were an angel in my life, a real, literal angel. Father of two is another child on the way. According to WSOC TV, he's still recovering in the hospital. Leg broken in three places. Also has a broken ankle, three broken ribs. He's hoping to be back home in about a week or so. And uh, again, still looking to find that good Samaritan who saved his life. So whoever that anonymous stranger was in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save the life of Eric Pennington, we thank you for your very, very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. Looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Also, don't forget Wednesdays. That's when we do our weekly VIP Gold live chat with Hot Air's Ed Morrissey. You can be a part of it. All you have to do is go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS. You can get a significant savings on your VIP or VIP Gold membership. Not only will you get exclusive content from Bearing Arms, but if you are a VIP Gold member, you get exclusive content from the Town Hall Media family of websites, including... VIP Gold Live Chats with Hot Airs at Morris and myself. You've got uh, 5 o'clock somewhere with the Stevens Cruiser and uh, Vodka Pundit Stephen Green and a whole lot more great stuff. Again, you can check it all out at bearingarms.com slash subscribe. We'll see you back here tomorrow for another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But in the meantime, be safe, be well, and be free.